Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Sports Time Machine here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Annika Garakis, and each week we head down memory lane as I take you back in time as we remember some of the greatest moments in sports history. No flux capacitor needed, but get ready for a wild ride as we travel back in time as we remember Tiger Woods' first U.S. Open victory in dominating and record-setting fashion. I'll be joined by Cam Rogers, host of the podcast Believe in Tiger Woods with Cam Rogers here on the Believe Podcast Network. He's followed Woods for quite some time and really takes us back to what has been called the most dominant performance and victory in any major championship. It was the 100th U.S. Open. Emotions were already running high as defending champion Payne Stewart had passed away less than eight months earlier in an aviation accident. His death was commemorated throughout the week, starting with a group of golfers teeing off from the 18th fairway into the Pacific Ocean, the golfing version of the 21-gun salute. It was also the end of an era, with Jack Nicklaus playing in his final U.S. Open. But the attention would turn to 24-year-old Tiger Woods. His caddy Steve Williams had a feeling that something special was in the cards, but I don't think anyone truly knew what was in store. But let's look back and relive that week. Here's sounds from the past. Then Tiger at the short par 3-7, just a 106-yard hole. Lengthy birdie putt left for Tiger, and he nails it. Tiger moves to two under, still without a bogey on his card. Tiger Woods coming out of that deep rough, his third shot mark. Really hard to describe, Dan, just how good that shot was. He had to play it under the tree, land it in the long rough, and have it jump out. Incredible short game the man has. Oh, he's got the line, he's got the speed, and yet another birdie. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> strength is not an advantage. It's just not a fair fight. No, it really isn't, Roger. <laughs> I mean, that is phenomenal. Are you kidding wow. me? What a way to finish this afternoon. Good night. Sand iron, this ball going right at the flagstick. <laughs> wow. Is Play this really happening? Golf. Is this really happening? Play some golf, young man. How about it? Oh, my goodness. You see that look of determination when that ball went in the hole? Mm. He'll have a crack at another record. 36-hole scoring record tied earlier. 54-hole score to par record. 36-hole lead, biggest ever. 54-hole lead, biggest ever. 72-hole lead, the best. 72-hole score to par. Ties other champions as being a wire-to-wire finisher. Let the Tiger Woods coronation begin officially. In front of the fans at 18. And Tiger Woods is the 100th 
U.S. Open champion in history. I have never played four days like I did at Pebble Beach. I put together from tee to green uh, all aspects of my game. Sound from the ceremony courtesy of the United States Golf Association. We heard Tiger roar that day. Was this the greatest moment in Tiger Woods' career? Was this the greatest moment in golf history? For more on that, let's go back. Back to June 18th in the year 2000. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. All right, so who better to talk about Tiger Woods than someone who hosts a whole show dedicated to Tiger, the Believe in Tiger Woods podcast with Cam Rogers here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you so much, Cam, for joining me today. Anna, it is a pleasure. You know I am always down to talk my boy, Tiger. No matter what, Tiger Woods is somebody who's just been not only huge and so influential to golf, but pretty much to sports in general. Absolutely. I mean, you want to juxtapose that 2000 U.S. Open to the 2019 Masters. I mean, two iconic victories and victories in different fashions, if you will. I look at golf as a pie chart and Tiger Woods takes up about 98.5% of that pie chart. He is the game. He moves the needle. He is the guy. And that was a big motivator for me to actually start the podcast. Nobody out there is doing a show dedicated to the GOAT of the PGA Tour. It's like, well, I guess I will. So, you know, that 2019 Masters win is something that really transcended, not even within golf, but outside of it, like you talked about, the sports world. It was a moment of battling back from adversity. Think about the mugshot that came out a few Mm -hmm. years before that and the back surgery. Tiger saying he doesn't know if he's ever going to play again. Are you kidding me? And he goes ahead and beats an elite field at Augusta National a year ago. It's absolutely unbelievable and plenty of more good golf coming our way from this guy too. I love it. It's the ultimate redemption. But we're going to go back even further now. And this still blows my mind. It's been two decades. So we're going back 20 years right now, the year 2000. This week in history, Tiger Woods won his first U.S. Open by a record-setting 15 strokes. He tied or set nine U.S. Open records in that tournament. But before we get to all the nitty-gritty, let's set up the scene. Pebble Beach in picturesque, beautiful Monterey. What were the conditions like those four days, and what was the tone as it was also the 100th U.S. Open championship? Yeah, absolutely. So it was the 100th, Anna, but also the turn of the millennium. And the USGA really wanted a picturesque, as you said, beautiful setup to really commemorate 2000, right? Mm -hmm. And so Pebble was supposed to be 1998. They pushed it to 2000. Thank God they did because it turned out to be a pretty darn good tournament. So day one, pretty good scoring. Woods, six under par. You had Miguel Angel Jimenez, the Spaniard, at five under. John Houston got at four under. So, I mean, relative to U.S. Open scoring, that's pretty darn good. A couple other guys were under par, too. Cabrera, Angel Cabrera, Nick Faldo, Rocco Mediate, who, by the way, is no stranger to Tiger Woods winning majors, if you look at 2008, the U.S. Open there. And the first day got off to, you know, a pretty low start. And then there were some really rough conditions in round two, Anna. And that's when we really 
started to see the Tiger separation from the rest of the field, where at the end of Friday, Tiger's at eight under par. The next person or people would be Thomas Bjorn and Jimenez at two under par. And then really (laughs) the conditions didn't even matter so much from Saturday to Sunday, just because everybody I think knew they didn't have a shot just because of that lead. And what you, of course, know, Anna, being out there on the West Coast, you have that marine layer to deal with sometimes. You could have some unpredictable weather out there at Pebble Beach in particular. So you kind of got it all a little bit in terms of conditions that week. But day one was definitely the scoring day. And from there on out, it was a grinded out situation, except for Tiger Woods, of course. Yeah, it's crazy, actually. Monterey is one of those areas where you kind of get almost all four seasons, minus the snow. But you get the wind, sure. you get the rain, you get the fog, you get the sun, the heat. So it it is an amazing golf course to head out to. Again, beautiful, though. You know, Tiger was just 24 years old at the time, and it was also his 100th tournament. He had won 12 of his previous 23 heading into the U.S. Open. But that performance was so dominant. What is it that made it so dominant for him, and how did it actually alter the landscape for the golf world? Tiger Woods brought the golf athlete into the mainstream. He is the reason why we have these big guns these days, the Brooks Kepkas, the Dustin Johnsons, these guys crushing it down the course. Bryson DeChambeau, has anybody checked out that guy's guns? I mean, (laughs) he's hitting the weight room pretty darn good, and now he's killing it off the tee. And so you have this specimen of a golfer named Tiger Woods in the 2000s, where, by the way, the competition back then was not like what it is today. It was Tiger, it was VJ, it was Phil, it was Retief Goosen, a little bit of Jim Furyk, and that was really it in terms of competition. So Tiger kind of had that perfect window to really just dominate. And he smoked his opponents because he was about 30 yards ahead of them on every single shot. Now, I will note, by the way, Pebble Beach isn't exactly a long course. So it's more of a target golf type of U.S. Open course. With that said, still, Tiger's ability to just crush his driver and then have those small approach shots into the greens It's an ideal situation for scoring, especially at a U.S. Open. And, you know, for Tiger to have such accuracy and also hit it so far is truly remarkable, was truly remarkable back then, of course, still is today. One perfect example, I think, round two, he had that famous approach shot on the par five, six hole to get to the green and two, 15-footer for eagle, and ended up making birdie. But that was like, a microcosm of Tiger's game. And then in the years coming, Anna, you see these athlete-type golfers absolutely tearing up the place. I mean, Rory McIlroy is a perfect example. Justin Thomas is a pretty darn good athlete. All of these guys are gym rats, too, because of the foundation that Tiger really laid out in the early 2000s and, of course, at the U.S. Open, which many people believe was the pinnacle of his career. That year was just so incredibly amazing for him. Was that the moment that stuck out for you, though? Is there like a specific moment when you think of the U.S. Open in 2000 that really stuck out thinking, this is quintessential Tiger? I think that was. That six hole par five in round two. I mean, over the tree, over the water, and a gutsy shot. And nobody would have made that shot at that moment. You know, you're ripping it out of the rough. And this is U.S. Open rough, by the way. And just the sheer lag that Tiger created and still does today with his golf swing. And by lag, I mean just his ability to drive the club through 
impact uh, is truly remarkable and truly amazing. And that allowed him to get that ball in the air. Honestly, I don't think I could even advance the ball if I tried it. So uh, I think that is obviously a great example for me. You know, some quotes, too, that really stick out to me. Ernie Els, I knew I didn't have a chance. Marco Mira, <laughs> if you want to think about the perfect golfer, Tiger Woods is it. You know, everybody, especially on that final day, just kind of sat back and marveled at what this guy is doing. And then I'll go back to Ernie. He, too, said that, yeah, I guess we're going to be talking about Tiger for the next 20 years, which is kind of funny, Anna, because what are we doing right now? <laughs> 20 years to the day we are still talking about go. Tiger. I mean, he has such incredible control, the ability to make such creative shots like that one. You know, you're talking about some interesting quotes. You had some other great golfers who were talking about that day, like you had Phil Mickelson, who said that what Tiger mm-hmm. did at Pebble Beach is still the greatest performance in golf of all time. You had Rory, who also said that that was a once-in-a-lifetime sort of performance. Do those statements still ring true? Was that the greatest performance in golf history? In this millennium, it's got to be. I mean, we could really split hairs here, Anna, and go back to like old Tom Morris in the late 1800s. But you know what? We didn't have cameras to really document any of that. So it's kind of hard to say for sure. Right. But from what we can see, absolutely. I mean, from a pure ability golf standpoint, that was just nearly perfect. And golf, Anna, is a game of imperfect, honestly. It's about dealing with your misses. It's about saving pars, especially at a U.S. Open when usually the winning score is like two under, one under, even, or a couple over. And so for Tiger to be able to do this, and by the way, he won earlier in the year at Pebble Beach, so he had some really good confidence and momentum going into this U.S. Open, is something that I don't think we will ever see again. And I will extrapolate that and say, we will never see golf like we saw from Tiger Woods during that Tiger Slam era. So the U.S. Open, of course, was that first leg. And then he uh, went ahead and won the British Open and then the PGA Championship and then capped it off with the Masters for that Tiger Slam. I hope I'm wrong, Anna. I really do. I want to see more dominating golf like that. But it's just a different game now. The competition is different. There's just... Too many good players now, I think, for that window of one dominating player. Live in the past a little bit and enjoy what was truly something that we will never see again 20 years ago because I don't think we will see anything honestly close. But, you know, I mean, there have been moments, I will say. uh, McElroy at Congressional at the U.S. Open in 2011, that was pretty close uh, in terms of dominating fashion. But yeah, you're going to be hard-pressed to find something like what we saw at Pebble 20 years ago. You're right. It is something that's completely unique. What did we know about Tiger Woods at that point, and maybe what's something we didn't know? Yeah, so, of course, two-time major champion going into this tournament, winning in 97 at the Masters and then 99 at the PGA Championship. So we knew like what he could do, right? I mean, young guy, powerful driver, simply just overpowers golf courses in general. And like I mentioned, coming into that event with a win at Pebble Beach already, Tiger, a California kid, by the way, so he knows the West Coast pretty darn good. And so he understands the weather, he understands the climate. Mm -hmm. All of that obviously put together. And if you're a prognosticator at the time, you're probably thinking Tiger Woods is 
going to be in contention at this tournament. Maybe not by 15 shots and just blowing by the entire field, but of course, you know, being up there with the likes of Mickelson and DJ and all of these guys, David Duvall, of course, he was a top player at that time as well. So, I mean, the who's who of golf, of course, was playing in this tournament. In terms of what we didn't know in particular, you know, I think Tiger really at that time wasn't a very open guy. And, you know, for better or for worse, I wish we knew him more in the early days of his game. But that's that's just how he operated. He didn't say a lot. And so we probably didn't know a lot about his mentality uh, going into the tournament or, you know, even just little fun things, maybe jokes that he's having with players or fun conversations that he's having with friends. He's too locked in. So he would never tell the media anything like that. Now, you know, we have Golf Digest going inside Tiger's house and showing us all sorts of cool stuff about his dogs and his office. And anyway, Tiger's way more open now with the media than ever before. And I think it's a beautiful thing. So maybe we didn't know so much about what was happening in between the years and the early 2000s, but that's just kind of how he operated. So uh, he uh, did pretty darn well without doing so, without being too open with the media. So why change it? I totally understand. But uh, it's great to see that he's, you know, more talkative now and jokey and having fun with Phil and doing these charity events too. So um, yeah, it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, it's a completely great thing to see, kind of get to know who he is now. And something else that people may not have known that happened that weekend was he actually almost ran out of golf balls. There was one night where he and his caddy were going through the bag, but he had left the golf ball out and his caddy didn't check for it. And he only had three golf balls and he actually almost ran out of balls that day. Can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you recall, the second round did not conclude on Friday due to darkness. So they resumed on Saturday morning, and what Williams did not realize was that Woods had taken several balls out of his golf bag the night before to practice putting in his hotel room. Okay, logical, I get that. Woods never put them back, and Williams didn't notice until Woods tossed one to a fan coming off a green. There were two balls left. Now, Anna, uh, I'm a bit of a washed-up varsity golfer from my high school days, but I do know this rule that if you run out of golf balls on the course, you are disqualified. <laughs> so Oops. you're talking about a guy who's dominating this tournament and walking on extremely thin ice. Thank God. I mean, they were almost done with their second round, so it didn't matter. You could obviously refill after that second round and then uh, start the third on that Saturday. But a situation where Tiger could have been disqualified and then, you know, maybe uh, – Miguel Angel Jimenez wins, but he's probably going to be like, well, wait, I didn't really deserve this. It could have been a crazy golf story. And thankfully for Tiger Nation out there, we avoided it. But yeah, it was a, kind of an interesting one. And honestly, I feel like it happens more often than what we realize. But because it was Tiger, you know, of course, the world knows about it. Oh, of course. But at this point, just thinking like how much that would have changed history, how much that would have changed that complete tournament and how much may have affected him down the road. It's that whole butterfly effect that you never know what would have happened if he actually did run out of golf balls. But good thing that did not happen. Cam, you know, now we're in the year 2020. What's the latest on Tiger? Yeah, so uh, Tiger Woods is going to be very picky and choosy, Anna, with where he plays this year. The PGA Tour schedule, of course, has been completely shuffled. 
The next major championship is going to be in August. That will be the PGA. There is no British this year. We have the Masters in November and the U.S. Open in September. For now, we have the Ryder Cup in September as well. So Tiger operates his schedule in terms of the major championships. So he's going to make sure he is 100% ready to go for those tournaments. And I 100% agree with that. Now, I think the next time we see him will probably be the Memorial Tournament, which is in mid-July, okay. mid to late July, and that's Jack's tournament. And Tiger usually likes to play there, so we will probably see him then. It's June 18th today. There's going to be a bit of a layoff, so for all you uh, Tiger fans out there who are Tiger-starved, maybe watch some highlights of the Match 2.0, which I will note, Anna, was just Really a joy to watch. I think it was something that the country needed just to kind of escape what is happening with the pandemic right now. And by the way, from a observation standpoint, Tiger Woods looked pretty darn good. He hit every Great. fairway at Medalist Golf Club. Golf Club. And um, yeah, I think he's going to carry that momentum into the PGA Tour season this year. I mean, he just looked so free, so loose, so healthy healthier than maybe I have seen in a while. And if you recall way back in February, Tiger was having these back issues again. He did not play at the players championship. Of course, the players championship ended up getting canceled after the first round, but there was some worry that, okay, is the back going to flare up? Will he be good for Augusta in April? Now I think the shutdown really helped Tiger and that was evident at the match 2.0. So I'm really excited about this kind of sprint to the finish, if you will, with the PGA Tour schedule and some really exciting tournaments come the fall. You know, actually just thinking about that, thinking how everything has been affected with COVID right now, this could be an amazing opportunity for the game of golf with figuring everything out with the turmoil with baseball, NBA. There's questions about their future, but this is a sport that you could play in your own little bubble. So this is a sport that can really kind of stand alone right now amongst everything and with a lot of fans itching to actually watch some sport. Yeah, I mean, golf naturally is a socially distanced sport, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty darn easy to keep your distance away from people, especially if you're just playing alone, right? So I give Jay Monahan so much credit for working through the process to put out a product. And not many leagues can say that right now. As you mentioned, the MLB is a a little rickety right now, and there's some worry about uh, the NBA actually starting uh, in Orlando. There's some dissent among Kyrie and others about that. But, hey, we have TGA Tour Golf, and like I say on this, on my podcast, this is their moment. This is Jay Monahan's moment to really bring in new fans. And selfishly, I would like Tiger to play every week, of course. I would love to see him bring in uh, new audience members and all of that. I mean, look at the numbers from the Match 2.0. Five point something million people tuned into that thing. And then the week before, the Taylor made driving relief, 2.5 million. And that had like not a lot of enjoyment to it. It was kind of boring, to be honest with you. And I'm a golf guy. So it was like, <laughs> I, think, I think that's indicative, though, of the hunger for live sports content. And right now, this is the PGA Tours moment. So we, we have the RBC Heritage this week, the Travelers next week at Cromwell, Connecticut the Rocket Mortgage Classic, and then you have a couple of other tournaments coming up at Muirfield Village, one of them being the Memorial. This is it. Let's get some momentum. Let's uh, hopefully get Tiger at Memorial. Let's bring in some new fans. 
And uh, let's see what happens. I think this could be a really special trend here for the PGA Tour and the game of golf. And, oh, by the way, a lot of people are picking up the game right now, too. Like, you know, it's something to do to pass the time. I'm going to play three times this weekend just to, like, you know, do something. I can't go to a bar. So, like, so that's kind of another situation there. So I think this is really a great moment for the game. And I do hope that we come out on the other side with new golf fans. I'm getting my seven-year-old out there. He's getting on the links. He's getting ready to do Let's some uh, go. go out and play golf. So I'm very excited for that. I'm itching right now to watch some sports. But before we go, I do want to get one more question in for you. You know, in times like sure. these, it's also important to remember what Tiger Woods has meant not only to golf, but also society. What's the impact that Tiger Woods has had on our world? Yeah, absolutely. I think he is doing an amazing job with his foundation and he really prides himself on education and providing education for people who are disadvantaged. And that is the key driving point with his foundation. And of course, with what's happening in the world right now, Tiger did release a statement on Black Lives Matter and he said something that I just could not agree with more education is the key to really drive progress in that realm. I think we all need to sit back and listen and learn. And I think that is something that um, Tiger echoed really well in his statement. A guy, by the way, Anna, who dealt with his fair share of racism growing up. I mean, think about it. Majority white sport. And, you know, the guy got shunned. And it's unfortunate. And so for him to climb through that adversity and become the greatest golfer who has ever walked this earth is truly remarkable. And um, I will point to that 2019 masters as well, because I think that was, you know, like I said, a microcosm of battling back from adversity and showing the world that you can do anything. You can get busted for, you know, being under the influence and, you know, there's a mugshot of you and you can battle back from that. And he did that. So I think it really was a great message that he sent out there that there's never rock bottom forever. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was at a low, low point a few years ago uh, and he will admit that. And for him to come back and uh, become a major champion yet again, I think just shows that, hey, stick your mind to it. You work hard and uh, you can make things happen no matter what the circumstances are. So I, uh, I think he really is a great example in regards to that. Incredible. Well, thank you so much, Cam. And you can hear more of Cam Rogers on his podcast, Believe in Tiger Woods with Cam Rogers. Cam, you know, obviously people can go to uh, iTunes and all their favorite directories, go to Believe.com, but where else can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. Say hey to me on Twitter at Mr. Rogers 99 and I'm on the gram at Mr. Rogers 98. I am one point better at Twitter than Instagram. So that's why there's a difference. 99, 98. No, actually I wish they had 99 available. They didn't have 99 available on Instagram. I had to go one peg down, but yeah, certainly uh, hit me up. Say, Hey, let me know what you think about the show. And Anna, of course, love your show as well. Great to have you here on the Believe Network. Thank you so much. Happy to be a part of it. Cam, thank you very much. And it was great going down memory lane with you. All right. Take care. A big thank you again to Cam for his insight on Tiger Woods and his career. I'm really looking forward to watching some golf and, Maybe even getting on the links myself. I'll be honest, though, I'm absolutely terrible. But nothing beats a beautiful day on the golf course. What's the saying? Your worst day of golf is better than your best day at work. I'll take that. So now I'd like to hear from you. 
What was your favorite Tiger Woods moment? Was it that dominating victory at the U.S. Open in 2000? Or maybe his redemption game at the Masters last year? Let me know by reaching out on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis, that's K-A-G-A-R-A-K-I-S, or by using the hashtag Sports Time Machine. Some other interesting events happened that same week in history. So in the year 2000, the U.S. Open happened June 15th through June 18th. So let's work backwards. On June 18th, in 1873, Susan B. Anthony was fined $100 for attempting to vote in the 1872 presidential election. It wouldn't be more than 40 years later that the 19th Amendment, often referred to as the Susan B. Anthony Amendment, granted women the right to vote in the United States. On November 2, 1920, more than 8 million American women cast their votes. So remember to voice your opinion this year as it is an election year. As someone who's a first generation, I know what it means that this is not just a right, but it is a privilege. It is incredibly, incredibly important to voice your opinions. Every vote counts. Now, the Statue of Liberty is one of America's most famous landmarks. On June 17, 1885, the dismantled statue arrived in New York Harbor after being shipped across the Atlantic Ocean in 350 individual pieces and packed in more than 200 cases. A gift of friendship from the people of France, the copper and iron statue was reassembled and dedicated the following year in a ceremony presided over by U.S. President Grover Cleveland. The statue signifies freedom and democracy. It was designed by French sculptor Frederick Auguste Bartholdi. Hope I said that right. Now, he actually modeled it after his own mother. He put seven points on her crown to signify the seven continents of the world. He was also assisted by an engineer named Gustav Eiffel, who developed, you guessed it, the iconic Eiffel Tower in Paris. The statue alone cost the French an estimated $250,000, which is more than $5.5 million in today's money. Quite a gift from our friends across the sea. Merci beaucoup. On June 16, 1960, the psychological horror film Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, opened in New York City. The film was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Supporting Actress for Janet Leigh and for Best Director for Hitchcock. Finally, remember this voice? Now, how many of you know the show Scooby-Doo? Yeah. There's a character that I play on that show, the sidekick of Scooby-Doo for the past 17 or 18 years, and his name is Shaggy. And Shaggy would like to say a few words to the young people out there, all right? Go and ahead. he's always talking about his good buddy Scoob, his old friend, his old pal, his old dear, dear buddy. That would be the one and only Casey Kasem, radio personality, creator of American Top 40, and the voice of Shaggy on Scooby-Doo. Way to go, Scoob! A Scooby snack vending machine! <laughs> like it's the wave of the future! Wow! Sounds like he was one cool canine! <laughs> hey, Scoob! Like maybe they'll put up a statue of you someday! On June 15, 2014, he passed away from dementia at the age of 82. Although that was his death, I really wanted to take a moment to remember his life. Because Casey Kasem was such an iconic voice for so many years. And also, I've also been watching a lot of Scooby-Doo with my kids lately. It's amazing how a show like that stands a test of time and continues to evolve for each generation. And speaking of time, 
Thank you again for listening to Sports Time Machine. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate Sports Time Machine on iTunes. We're available on all your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find the show at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Anna Kagarakis and on Instagram at Anna Kags. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Well, time flies when you're having fun. Thanks for heading down memory lane with me. I'm Anna Kagarakis, and we'll talk soon. Where are you? We got some work to do now. Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We need some help from you now. Come on, Scooby Doo, I see you. Pretending you got a sliver. You're not fooling me, cause I can see the way you shake and shiver. You know we got a mystery to solve. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.